ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah We praise him, seek his assistance and forgiveness And we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves And the evil consequences of our deeds Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray And whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone And that he has no partners or associates And I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger. Uh, this evening, in the last session, in the conclusion, inshallah, of the rulings concerning the hadith from the introduction of Al-Ma'rifa fi ulum al-Hadith by Sheikh Suhaib Hassan Abdul Ghaffar, Hafidhullah, may Allah protect and preserve him. Uh, we will just continue where we left off last week. In the last hadith which uh, we mentioned was hadith, was the 13th hadith, and today, inshallah, we'll start with hadith number 14, uh, which is of those hadith which are commonly spread and propagated by the Rafidah or the Shia in support of their claims that Ali is the superior of the companions of the Prophet and the rightful Khalifa and so on in this hadith uh, it is the hadith here where the Shaykh mentions a saying attributed to the Prophet I am the city of knowledge and Ali is its gate and this hadith has been reported with uh, any different wording. In this one, the wording, Ana Madinatil Ilm. It is attributed that the Prophet said that I am the Medina or the city of knowledge. Wa Ali Babuha. And Ali radiallahu anhu is its door or gate, the gateway to the city of knowledge. And in other narrations, similar wording is reported and attributed to the Prophet Sallallahu that he said Ana Darul Hikmah I am the house or the home of Hikmah Hikmah, wisdom as opposed to in the previous narration which mentions Al-Ilm, knowledge Wa Aliyun Babuha and Ali is its gate or doorway yani the doorway to the house of wisdom or the doorway to the house of knowledge which is their claim yani, uh, or one of the claims that they make to the superiority of Ali uh, so here the Shaykh in his comment says that this report is related by Al-Hakim in his book the Mustadrak and we mentioned before his book Al-Mustadrak that it is a book which contains a collection of hadith in which he attempts to collect those hadith which are in agreement or in accordance or fulfilling the conditions of Al-Bukhari and Muslim though they were not collected by either of them in any case Al-Hakim narrated this hadith and so did Al-Tabarani and others it is also related by Al-Tirmidhi with the wording Ana Dar al-Hikmah that I am Wa alaykum salam wa rahmatullah that I am the house or the home of wisdom and Ali is its door Al-Darqutni Al-Imam Al-Darqutni the great scholar of hadith and a specialist concerning ilal or the science of hidden defects in hadith labeled this hadith as mudtarib mudtarib Imam al-Darqutni rahimahullah said this hadith is mudtarib 
both in Isnad, the chain of narratives, and in the text, the Metin. And we said that, Ibtirab, it means that either in the text of the Hadith or in the chain of narrators, there's con- contradictory versions in which the Hadith has been reported in its wording or in the chain of narrators. Contradictory in the sense or to the extent that it cannot be reconciled. We cannot explain the contradiction between them. We cannot remove or reconcile the difference. And at the same time, those reports have to be equal in strength such that we cannot give preference to one over the other. We said that Ibtirab has two conditions, that, they have to, that the two or more versions of a hadith have a contradiction that cannot be resolved, cannot be reconciled, cannot be explained away. They are clearly contradictory, with no way to explain it away, and each of them are equal in strength, so that, such that we cannot give preference to one over the other. Okay? Therefore, a hadith which has these two conditions, we said that it is muttarib. Here Imam al-Tarqutni said this hadith is muttarib, both in isnad as well as in the text. And ibtirah can be in either the chain of narration or in the metin or the text. In this case he said that both the text and the isnad are muttarib. In a hadith that's muttarib, it is da'if, is rejected. You cannot act upon it unless one can be given preference over the other, or there can be reconciliation between the apparent contradiction in the text, or in the isnad. And Imam al-Tirmidhi said it is gharib and munkar. These are two terms also of importance that we studied. Gharib, we said that gharib is from the classifications of hadith according to the number of narrators in the chain. We said hadith are classified into two major categories according to the number of narrators in the chain, mutawatir and ahad. And Ahad, Mutawatir is many innumerable chains, and Ahad is a limited number of chains. And it's divided into three types. Mashhur, Aziz, and Gharib. Mashhur, three or more chains, or three or more narratives at every level. Aziz, two or more, and Gharib, one. At any point in the chain, it has only one narrator. So here, and we also said that Gharib is of two types. Gharib Mutlaq and Gharib Nisbi. But in any case here, Al-Imam Al-Tirmidhi said this hadith is Gharib, which is not necessarily an indication that the hadith is Da'if, although usually, or in most cases, the hadith which is Gharib is weak, but not in every case, because even the famous hadith of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَاتِ That actions are judged according to intention, that hadith is Gharib. Yet it is an authentic hadith. Sahih. So here he says it is gharib. And he also says it is munkar. And we said that munkar has two primary definitions. There are many, but the, the two most common definitions for munkar is that munkar is the opposite of ma'roof. Munkar is the hadith which is reported by a weak reporter. And his report is contradicted by a strong reporter. And not only is he weak, but he's also contradicted by somebody else narrating the same report differently in contradiction to him. So this is one of the meanings of munkar, and the other meaning of munkar is that the wording of the hadith, the wording of the hadith is in contradiction to the fundamental principles of Islam. And it's some fundamental principle that's well known in the deen, it contradicts it. And also some of the scholars use munkar to refer to a hadith which has in its chain of narrators a reporter who is known for making very, very serious or many mistakes, or is known for unmindfulness in what they report, or is known for openly displaying immoral behavior. First. So these are some of the uh, definitions of munkar. A munkar hadith is also da'if. Al-Imam al-Tirmidhi said, this hadith is gharib and munkar. Al-Bukhari, rahimahullah, said that it has no sahih narration. Yani of all the chains of narration that Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah came across, none of them were sahih. And it's unlikely that Imam al-Bukhari would make such a statement uh, unless yani, there is really no authentic chain. Because if we remember that he memorized hundreds of thousands of hadith, and in all of what he knew from weak and strong narrations, he didn't find 
any authentic chain for this report. Ibn Ma'in, Yahya Ibn Ma'in rahimahullah said that it is a baseless lie. And he said outright it is a fabrication, a lie. This report that I am the house of wisdom or I am the house of knowledge and Ali is his door is a baseless lie. Similar dismissals of the hadith are reported from the Imams Abu Zur'ah and Abu Hatim al-Razi and Yahya ibn Sa'd or perhaps it should be Yahya ibn Sa'id and Allah knows best but Yahya ibn Sa'id is one of the famous scholars known for knowledge of hadith Al-Hakim Al-Hakim as we mentioned this hadith is reported by Al-Hakim al-Tabrani and others and Al-Hakim declared the original hadith the statement that I am the house of knowledge he declared this, this hadith as sahih in Isnad. He said that the chain of narrators is sahih. But Ibn al-Jawzi regarded both versions. Yani, I am the house of knowledge and I am the house of wisdom as mawdu'a, fabricated. And just as a note here, an Imam Hakim in his book Al-Mustadraq, we said that he attempted to collect those hadith which meet the conditions of Al-Bukhari and Muslim, but neither of them reported it in their books. But in fact, in many cases, he collected hadith which didn't meet the conditions of Bukhari and Muslim, neither of them. And in fact, many of the hadith which he collected not only didn't meet the conditions, the high, strict conditions of Bukhari and Muslim, but many of the hadith which he collected are not even authentic. And in this case, this hadith has been declared by many of the scholars as a fabrication or outright lie. Uh, Imam al-Zahabi, rahimahullah, agreed with him, and he agreed with Ibn al-Jawzi, that this hadith is mawdu'a, fabricated. Several of the later scholars, however, including Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani, Ibn Hajj al-Makki, and Al-Imam al-Suyuti, declared it hasan. Several of the later scholars, from the later generations, declared this hadith as hasan due to its various routes of narration. Yani due to the numerous chains of narrators, the numerous isnads or asanid, they said that some of them supporting others raise it up to the level of Hassan. But remember, when we talked about the hadith which is Hassan, we said uh, it is there is hadith Hassan lidati and Hassan lighirhi. Hassan lighirhi it means the hadith which is originally daif, but because of many narrations, if it only has a small defect and there are many supporting narrations of similar strength or stronger, then it may be raised up to the level of Hassan. But that is with the condition that the defect in it cannot be a major defect. But if it has a major defect, no matter how many uh, chains it came with, it wouldn't be raised up. So even though some of the latest scholars declared it to be Hassan, in fact, most of the earlier scholars and even those who came after them declared the hadith to be a fabrication. Al-Ijluni says, none of this devalues the consensus of the adherents or the people of Sunnah from the companions, that is Sahaba, the successors, the Tabi'un, and those after them that the best of the companions overall is Abu Bakr, followed by Umar, then Uthman, then Ali. Yani, even if this hadith was Hassan, even if it was, then he said this doesn't take anything from the ijma'al consensus of the people of Sunnah from among Sahaba and Tabi'een and those who came after them, that the best of this Ummah is not Ali, radiallahu anhu, but it is Abu Bakr, radiallahu anhu, and then Umar, then Uthman, and then Ali, radiallahu anhu, majma'een. And here, he says that Al-Ijluni, quotes this view that Abu Bakr is the best of this Ummah he quotes it from Abdullah ibn Umar as well as from Ali himself as recorded in the Sahih of Al-Bukhari Shaykh al-Albani rahimahullah declares the hadith to be mawdu'a naam he declared this hadith after considering all of the chains he agreed with most of the earlier scholars that this, this hadith is a fabrication. And it is indeed a fabrication. The next hadith, hadith number 15, is also a very any, widespread report that many of the Muslims mention some of the people in their khutbahs and in many books it is written that my companions are like the stars whichever of them you follow you will be guided my companions are like stars 
or like the stars, whichever of them you follow, you will be guided. Here the Shaykh, and this is a very important hadith because it's used by some of the people of deviation to support their deviations or to mislead the people from the correct path of Islam. Here the Shaykh says this hadith is da'if or mawdu'a. It is weak or is, or is fabricated. As stated by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahimahullah and Ibn Abdul Bar, the great Maliki scholar uh, rahimahullah and as well as Al-Bazzar, the great scholar of hadith and many others. Yani, this hadith has been declared by many of the great scholars of hadith as being at least da'if if not absolutely a fabrication. And Imam Ibn Hazm, rahimahullah, the scholar of the Zahiri Madhab, the literalist Madhab, states that not only is the Isnad, chain of narrators, unsound or unauthentic, but the Hadith cannot be true for two further reasons. Now here, this is also an important point in reference to the classification of Hadith, that not only do we consider the chain of narrators, is the chain correct, sound, strong or weak, does it have a break or, or poor narrator, but we also look at the text of the Hadith, we also look at the text of the Hadith, even if the chain may appear to be strong, but if the text is contradictory to what is known in Islam, or the fundamental principles and foundations of Islam, or that which is stronger than it, then it would be rejected, right? So here, Concerning this hadith, Imam Ibn Hazm rahimahullah, says, not only is the isnad unsound, but even the text, this hadith cannot be true for two further reasons. Number one, if we consider the text of the hadith, that my companions are like stars, whichever of them you follow, any one of them that you follow, you will be guided. Anyone. He said, number one, the companions are not infallible. The companions are not infallible. They are capable to err and to make mistakes. They are human beings. They are not infallible. And hence, they made mistakes. So it would be wrong to say that following any one of them leads to guidance. And perhaps you will follow one of them in a mistake or error that he made. He may have made ijtihad and erred in it. As it happened in the time of the Prophet Sometimes they erred in the ijtihad. Ammar ibn Yasir, when he made ijtihad about tayammum, uh, when he was junub, and he... And he figured that if you make tayammum by wiping your hands, uh, uh, striking your hands on the sand and wiping your palms and face, if you junub, then you have to wipe your whole body in the sand. That was ijtihad, it was an error. And when he informed the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet corrected him. So the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, they were not infallible and they were subject to error or make a mistake in a matter. So therefore it would be wrong to say that following any of them leads to guidance. You cannot follow any of them in everything because it is possible that they can err in some point. Number two, the second reason why this hadith, the text of it, cannot be acceptable is because the comparison with the stars is wrong. For not every star guides one through every journey. And not every star is a guide in the journey. There are certain stars which are guides to, take, to show you the path, north or south or east or west, but not every star is a guide. And therefore, the comparison itself, that my companions are like stars, any one of them you follow, you'll be guided, is not correct because not every star that you follow will guide you and so likewise yani, we cannot accept this comparison there is a different though the shaykh here mentions there is a different authentic comparison with the stars even in the sahih of muslim that the prophet sallallahu said the stars are the custodians of the sky the stars are the custodians of the sky so when the stars depart when they go away yani when they cease to exist they will come to the sky what is promised for it, that is the day of judgment. Yani when the stars fall from the sky, then that which has been promised to take place, it will take place, yani the day of judgment. And I am the custodian of my companions. So when I depart, yani when he leaves from this world, وسلم, they will come to my companions, what is promised to them, that is great trials and tribulations. Yani they will be tested, there will be trials and tribulations. And it happened at the death of the Prophet وسلم, immediately there was fitna in the Ummah, some of the companions differed on a number of things, where he should be buried, whether he should be washed, who should be the next leader. Some people said they won't pay zakat since they only paid it to the Prophet and so on. There was fitna and there were wars of the people who apostated and so on. So the Prophet ﷺ said that I am 
the custodian of my companions. So when I depart, they will come to my companions what is promised to them. What it was inevitable, that is trials and tribulations. And my companions, and this is the comparison of the companions to the stars that is correct. In the authentic hadith, my companions are the custodians of my ummah. So when my companions depart, when they are no more, no one of them is left, they will come to my ummah what is promised. That is, what is promised for it. That is schisms, spread of innovations, etc. And he splits and division, and the ummah will be divided, as he said, into 73 sects. And innovation will spread amongst the ummah. Uh, and these are the things that he warned us against. Against dividing into sects and uh, accepting innovations in the deen. This hadith is reported by al-imam Muslim. The next hadith, hadith number 16, is the hadith or the narration that differing among, amongst my ummah is a mercy. And that ikhtilaf or difference in the, amongst the Muslims that it is a rahmah. And if you remember, this is a statement of some of the scholars including as we just recently took in Lum'at al-Atiqad, a statement of Imam Ibn Qudam rahimahullah that ikhtilaf of the scholars is a rahmah. But here, in that statement, he is saying it as a statement from himself, not as a hadith of the Prophet And we discussed the meaning of this rahmah, that its meaning is primarily that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't make it an obligation on everyone to always reach the correct opinion. No one can reach the correct opinion on everything. So out of Allah's mercy, He has allowed some room for difference and he doesn't hold us, call us to account for those differences. In the case where the scholars made sincere ijtihad to reach the truth, there's no blame on them. In fact, out of Allah's mercy, he rewards them. He rewards the scholars even if they err. When they make ijtihad, if they are correct, they get two rewards. And if they err, they get one reward. But here, this has been attributed as a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. As a hadith, that the differing among my ummah is a mercy. The shaykh says, no isnad exists for this hadith and there is no chain of narratives. As-Subqi said it is not known to the scholars of hadith and I cannot find an isnad for it whether sahih, da'if or mawdu'a and he said he couldn't find an isnad for it not only not authentic he couldn't even find a weak isnad or even a fabricated one then the shaykh says shaykh Suhaid says it and if this hadith that the differing among my ummah is a mercy along with the previous hadith my companions are like stars whichever of them you follow you will be guided he said these two hadith are often used to justify the following two extremes number one blind following of the views of men with no reference to the Quran or Sunnah which is rejected we said that taqlid the following of someone's opinion without evidence is only for those who cannot reach the truth, who cannot uh, get a hold of the evidences or cannot weigh the evidences to come, come to the correct conclusion. But this is only in the case when the person has no ability, then they should ask the trustworthy scholars. But here, some people use this as a justification for blind following, meaning following every opinion of one of the imams, no matter whether it is correct, or incorrect, no matter if you know opposing evidences or not, just to accept it blindly and to reject anything other than the view of your Imam without considering the Quran and Sunnah. When in fact, taking the opinion of a scholar when you don't have knowledge, it is the exception to the rule. But if you came to know something from the Quran and Sunnah, then you must follow the Quran and Sunnah and reject the opinions that contradict it. And the second extreme that the people use this hadith for is conveniently following whichever scholar holds the easiest view or that most or that view which is most agreeable to one's desires again without reference to the fundamental sources that is the Quran and Sunnah some of the people use such a hadith that different among my ummah is a mercy meaning that it's a mercy they said meaning you can take any opinion and in reality what they mean, you can take whichever opinion is easier for you or one that you like the most, the one that's in agreement with what you want to do, whether it has a basis or not, which is wrong. Uh, dif- differing among the scholars, legitimate sincere difference is accepted and excused by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but we are not excused from seeking the truth and following it when it came to us. 
if the truth became clear to us what is the correct opinion, then we don't have the right to choose any opinion because since they differ, then take any opinion. No. But we are obligated to follow the correct opinion if it became clear to us. And this is the difference between the people of Sunnah and the people of Bid'ah. The people of Bid'ah, even when the truth came clear to them, they don't accept it, but they remain on their falsehood. Whereas the people of Sunnah, if the truth came to them, then they correct their errors and they turn to the truth and follow it. Uh, the next hadith is an authentic hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ said, My ummah was split into 73 sects, 72 will be in the fire, and one in the garden or in the paradise. Here the Shaykh says, Numerous narrations of this hadith are found in the collections of Abu Dawood, Al-Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah, Al-Hakim, Ahmed, and others. They vary. The numerous collect, uh, ha- reports of this hadith vary in being, yani some of them are sahih, some of them are hasan, and some of them are daif. But the hadith itself is established, it's confirmed, it's authentic. Even though some of the chains may be daif, and some of them are hasan, and some of them are sahih, but as long as there are sahih narrations for it, then we know that for sure this, the text of this hadith is authentic. Among those who have authenticated this hadith are Al-Imam Al-Tirmidhi, Al-Hakim, Al-Shatibi, Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Qayyim, Al-Zahabi, Ibn Kathir, Ibn Hajjah, and Al-Iraqi. Or perhaps we should say Al-Iraqi and Ibn Kathir, because Al-Iraqi is the Shaykh of Ibn, of Ibn Hajjah. Al-Iraqi and then Ibn Hajjah. Uh, so you can see that many of the scholars from the early generations as well as those who came later from the time of Ibn Taymiyyah and his students Ibn Qayyim and Al-Zahri and Ibn Kathir were students of, of Shaykh Islam Ibn Taymiyyah as well as Al-Hafiz Ibn Hajr Al-Sakalani and his Shaykh Al-Iraqi. They all declared this hadith to be authentic. Most narrations mention the splitting up of the Jews and Christians into 71, yani the Jews in the 71 sects and the Christians in the 72 sects all being in the fire except one. Prior to the mention of the Muslims dividing even more. Yani most of the narrations mention that the Jews will be divided into 71 sects and the Christians will be divided into 72 sects and the Muslims will be divided into 73. And all of them will be in the fire except one. Uh, in some of the narrations, the Prophet ﷺ describes the saved sect. Yani al-Firqa al-Najiyah, the one of the 73 sects, the one that would be saved. He described it in some narrations as al-Jama'ah, the community or congregation or the main, main body. And in some narrations, he described it as al-Sawad al-A'zam, or the largest body, the majority of the Muslims. But this is the group that would be saved. This hadith does not mean that the majority of Muslims will be in the hellfire. Yani if anybody just on the surface of the hadith considered that if the Muslims are divided into 73 sects and all of them will be in the fire except one, you would, you would perhaps think that most of the Muslims are going to be in the fire then. Since all of them are in the fire, all the sects except one, then that one would be the minority. But as in some of the narrations of the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ described the saved sect as al-jama'ah. Yani the community of Muslims or al-sawad al-azam, the greater body of the Muslims. Meaning that the majority of the Muslims would be from amongst those who would be saved. The majority, not the minority. So here he says, uh, it does not mean that the majority of Muslims would be in the hellfire. For most of them, that is the masses, are not involved in intentional divisive innovation. Further, mention of the fire does not necessarily imply that the 72 sects will remain there forever or that those sects are disbelievers. Yani not all of the 73 sects are classified as disbelievers, though there are some sects, as some of the scholars said, that some of those sects may be classified as kuffar, like the Jahmiya. But in any case, not all of the 73 sects, or 72 that would be in the fire, not all of them are disbelievers, and not all of them would remain in the fire forever, forever. if they died on Tawheed, even if they were punished for some time, they would eventually come out of the fire. Uh, the next hadith, or the next statement, it is the prophecies of the Prophet ﷺ about the coming of the Mahdi, the guided one. Ad-Dajjal, the false Christ, or the Antichrist. 
and the return of Isa al-Masih ibn Maryam yani these are three of many prophecies that we discuss in Lumat al-Itiqad where Imam ibn Qudama mentions the obligation of believing in all of the reports that have come to us authentically from the Prophet of the previous nations as well as of future events and from amongst the future events it is the coming of the Mahdi and the uh, Dajjal, Antichrist and the return of Isa salam. These are three prophecies that have been authentically given to us from the Prophet Here the Shaykh says, although the Mahdi is not mentioned explicitly, yani in clear language, in the collections of Al-Bukhari and Muslim, numerous Sahih Hadith, which are mutawatir in meaning, speak of the coming of the Mahdi, a man named Muhammad ibn Abdullah, and a descendant of the Prophet ﷺ through Fatima anha, who will be the leader, the Imam or the Khalifa of the Muslims and he will rule for seven years and fill the world with justice and equity after it had been filled with tyranny and oppression and even though there is no hadith or report in Al-Bukhari or Muslim that specifically clearly identified the Mahdi but there are other authentic Sahih hadith in the other collections of hadith which mention him by name and description and the things, the events that would take place when he came. And from amongst them, as he mentions here, is that he would rule for seven years and so on. Uh, so the, the coming of the Mahdi is confirmed in hadith which are sahih and also mutawatir in meaning. We said that hadith mutawatir is of two types. Mutawatir al-lavzi, yani in the exact wording. Mutawatir, the same wording has been reported to us through numerous chains or Mutawatir al-ma'nawi yani those hadith which are Mutawatir in meaning yani has been reported through many chains not the exact same wording but the meaning of it came through innumerable chains so these hadith concerning the Mahdi are Mutawatir in meaning though not the exact same text has been reported through innumerable chains but the meaning concerning the Mahdi has been reported Mutawatir then he said uh, concerning the Mahdi, he will also fight the Dajjal along with Isa ibn Maryam and he says the author, meaning himself, Sheikh Suhaid in his book, The Concept of the Mahdi amongst the Ahl sunnah has named 37 scholars who collected a hadith about the Mahdi with their own isnads yani 37 scholars who collected hadith and those hadith that they collected they actually have a chain of narratives from themselves going back to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi 37 scholars as well as 69 later scholars who wrote in support of the concept yani the concept or the reality or the truth of the Mahdi yani 69 scholars who wrote about it though they didn't report hadith directly with chains of isnad from, them, from themselves but they brought many proofs showing the reality and truth of the prophecy of the Mahdi compared to eight scholars who rejected the idea yani there are some scholars from amongst the people of Sunnah <coughs> who didn't accept the idea of the Mahdi but the fact of the matter is that the hadith concerning it are overwhelming and many of them are confirmed without a doubt as being authentic the hadith prophesying at Dajjal or the false Christ the one-eyed man who will have miraculous powers who will be followed by the Jews and the return of Jesus Christ Isa ibn Maryam السلام, who would descend in Damascus and pray behind the Mahdi, the leader of the Muslims and will kill the Dajjal at the gate of Lud in Palestine break the cross, kill the pig marry and have children and live for 40 years after dying or before dying a natural death these hadith concerning the Dajjal and the return of Isa السلام, are also mutawatir in meaning and they have been reported with some different wording dealing with different points related to at Dajjal and his coming and what would happen and his being killed by Isa, the descent of Isa and so on but those hadith are also mutawatir innumerable narrations or reports of similar meaning reporting the prophecy of at Dajjal and the return of Isa salam. and these hadith have been collected by Al-Bukhari and Muslim as well as other traditionists or scholars of hadith Uh, the next hadith and as we said the prophecies of the Prophet ﷺ are many many of them didn't come to uh, 
fruition until now. Some of them are the signs of the last days and some of them are major signs of the last days that will take place yani, before the judgment. And from amongst them is the coming of the Mahdi, the Jav, and Isa, and the Daba, the beast that will come from the earth, and the rising of the sun from its place of setting, and so on. Number 19, he says the description of punishment and bliss in the grave for the wicked and pious people respectively. Yani the fact, hadith related to the fact that in the grave there is naim, bliss or reward or happiness or joy and there is also adab, punishment. The hadith or the, the description of this punishment and this bliss in the grave for the wicked and the pious respectively is also, as the Shaykh says in the ruling concerning this hadith, mutawatir and meaning and collected by al-Bukhari Muslim and others. The hadith concerning these matters are mutawatir meaning, meaning that not all of them have been reported by innumerable chains with the exact same wording, but the meaning of them have been reported by innumerable asanid or chains of narrators. The next uh, point is al-shafa, intercession by the Prophet and the matter of the believers seeing Allah, Ruhiyatullah, Yawmu Qiyamah, that the believers will see Allah on the Day of Judgment. These two points, the Shafa'a and the seeing of Allah on Yawmu Qiyamah, are matters of Aqidah that we have mentioned previously in detail in our study of Numat al-Itiqad as well as in Aqidah Tahawiyah. Uh, he says that concerning these points, that they are also mutawatir in meaning and collected by Al-Bukhari Muslim and others. The Shafa'a, intercession of the Prophet ﷺ, those points of intercession which are exclusive for the Prophet, we said, are eight, and there's also intercession for the people who committed major sins, for them to come out of the fire after being punished for some time, and that intercession would be given to the Prophets, the angels, as well as the believers. Concerning intercession, the Shaykh makes a point, uh, because it is a matter about which there is some confusion among some of the people, he says mention of the inadmissibility of intercession on the day of judgment in the Quran and the, the, the statement that intercession will not be allowed, that no one will be allowed to intercede in the Quran for example in Surah Al-Baqarah chapter 2 verse 48 and also in chapter 2 verse 123. The saying of Allah, these two verses are very similar in wording and the first of them وَاتَّقُوا يَوْمًا لَا تَجْزِي نَفْسٌ عَنْ نَفْسٍ شَيْئًا That fear the day, يعني the mean, meaning the day of judgment, when no person would be able to يعني, help anyone or do any, give any benefit to anyone else in any matter. وَلَا يُقْبَلْ مِنْهَا شَفَاعَةٌ And also that intercession or shafa'ah will not be accepted from anyone. وَلَا يُؤْخَذُ مِنْهَا عَدْلٌ وَلَهُمْ يُنْصَرُونَ And in the other ayat, the wording is slightly different, but the meaning is the same. وَلَا يُقْبَلُ مِنْهَا عَدْلٌ وَلَا تَنْفَعُهَا شَفَاعَةٌ And that intercession will not benefit anyone. وَلَهُمْ يُنْصَرُونَ And they will not be helped. Both of these ayats are understood by some people to mean that there is no such thing as intercession. Because Allah says intercession will not benefit anyone. And that no one, intercession will not be accepted from anyone on that day, meaning the day of judgment. Here the Shaykh says that these verses must be understood in the light of other verses. For example, Surah Al-Ta'a, chapter 20, verse 109, and other verses of the Qur'an uh, which mention the fact that intercession will be allowed. And in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَوْمَ إِذِنْ لَا تَنْفَعُوا الشَّفَاعَ That on that day, meaning the day of judgment, that intercession will not benefit. إِلَّا مَنْ أَذِنَ لَهُ الرَّحْمَانِ Except the one who Allah gives permission to وَرَضِيَ لَهُ قَوْلًا and who Allah is pleased with his word يعني, these two conditions the scholars said that the general ruling concerning intercession that no one will be allowed to intercede no one will be allowed to help you on that day whatever you're going to do you have to do it now on that day no one will be able to help you but there is an exception الشفاعه on Yawm Qiyamah is allowed in some cases as we studied in the books of Aqidah and the conditions for that shafa'ah is that Allah has to give permission. إِلَّا مَنْ أَذِنَ لَهُ الرَّحْمَنِ Except that Allah gives permission to that person to intercede. And the second condition is the pleasure, riba of Allah, that Allah is pleased with the one who tries to intercede 
and the one whom he is interceding for. If these two conditions are fulfilled, then this will be the exception, in which case intercession would be allowed on Yom Qiyamah. So here the Shaykh says that uh, yani that this ayah and other ayahs from the Quran and the Sahih Ahadith uh, should be yani, taken into consideration in understanding the matter of intercession. That is not absolutely ruled out, but there is some exception to it. The reward of seeing Allah for the believers is referred to in the Qur'an. And this is concerning the second matter, that is the matter of the believers seeing Allah on Yom Qiyamah. This is the reward for the believers, and he said this reward for the believers of seeing Allah as re- uh, is referred to in the Qur'an in a number of places, from amongst them is Surah Al-Qiyamah, chapter 75, verse 22 and 23, the saying of Allah, وُجُوهٌ يَوْمَئِذٍ Nadira, that faces on that day will be looking, or Nadira will be bright, Ila Rabbiha Nadira, they will be looking towards their Lord, and also the saying of Allah uh, in chapter 83, verse 15, that is, that on that day the disbelievers, they would be mahjub, they would be screened from seeing their Lord, that is, they would be be prevented from enjoying the seeing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a punishment for them. So this is, this means we understand from this then that the believers, that they would be allowed, they would not be screened, but they would be allowed to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So uh, these ahadith and those of the previous two categories were generally rejected. They were generally rejected by the classical mu'attazila, the rationalists, as well as by those influenced by them today on one or more of the following bases. Yani, the hadith related to al-shafa'ah and the hadith related to al-ru'ya or the seeing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in yawm al-qiyamah has been rejected by the Mu'atazila and those today who follow their thinking on the basis, number one, that they contradict the Qur'an. In the, in the view of the Mu'atazila, they say that those hadith which mention al-shafa'ah is in contradiction to the Qur'an, but we have already shown that even the Qur'an itself shows that there is an exception and there are authentic hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, innumerable hadith dealing with al-shafa'ah. And secondly, they said that these hadith contradict reason, yani it contradicts the intellect. Our reason does not accept it, our intellect does not accept it, and intellect is not a source of law in Islam. And the third reason they said that these hadith are ahad, not mutawatir, and hence not acceptable in matters of belief which is a flawed argument or a false argument which has no basis because there is no proof that in order for hadith to be a proof in aqidah or in the deen that it has to be mutawasir. But in fact, even if it's ahad, if it came with an authentic chain of narration, then we have to accept it as being true and follow it uh, as a statement of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But they, has, they had as a principle a basis in their understanding on their aqidah and minhaj that hadith ahad is not acceptable in matters of aqidah. And we say there is no distinction between ahad and mutawatir. Both of them are sources of legislation as long as the chain is sahih. Hence the scholars who wrote the aqidah of the Ahl sunnah included these concepts in it. Yani al-shafa'ah and seeing of Allah, they wrote it in their books to confirm their denial of the wrong ideas of the Mu'atazila and those who hold such ideas. Other authentic hadith rejected by the Mu'atazila are many and include those describing the Prophet Sallallahu Mi'raj or ascension to the seven heavens which are again mutawatir in meaning and the Mi'raj is mutawatir in meaning and yet they reject it by the use of their intellect. The next uh, point is number 21 the Shaykh mentions paradise is under the feet of mothers Al-Jannah to Tahta Aqadam Al-Ummahat The paradise is under the feet of mothers which is a very widely quoted hadith though it is not authentic Al-Jannah to Tahta Aqadam Al-Ummahat He said this hadith with this wording is da'if There are other narrations which, are, which have authentic chains but this one with this wording the isnad for it is da'if but its meaning, and the general meaning, is contained in the hadith of, reported by Ibn Majah and Nasai, 
that a man came to the Prophet ﷺ and said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, I intend to go on a military expedition, but I have come to ask your advice. He said, Is your mother alive? And the Prophet ﷺ said to him, um? Do you have a mother? Is your mother living? He said, Naam. He said, Yes, my mother is living. Then the Prophet ﷺ said to him, Salzimha. He said, then stay with her, or stick to her, adhere to her. Yani stay with her and serve her if your mother is living. For verily, al-jannah tahta rijlayha. That the garden of the paradise is under her feet. So the meaning of the status of the women in serving the mother, it's confirmed in this narration, but the previous wording is reported with an unauthentic change. So it should not be quote it as a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, but it's sufficient to quote the authentic hadith and leave those which are unauthentic. This latter hadith is declared to be Sahih by Al-Hakim, Al-Zahabi, and Al-Munzari. The next point, number 22. Uh, paradise is under the shade of swords. And this is a very beautiful and important hadith that every Muslim should teach their children. Al-Jannatu Tahta Dilal As-Suyuf it's only a few words. Al-Jannatu Tahta Zilal As-Suyuf. It is an authentic hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, as the Shaykh says here. The meaning of the hadith that paradise is under the shade of swords, meaning jihad. That one of the ways to jihad. So this hadith is a good hadith for us to memorize and teach our children. The next hadith, teach ourselves. The next hadith is attributed to the Prophet ﷺ. Seeking knowledge is a duty upon every Muslim. Talibul ilm, faridatun ala kulli Muslim. Seeking knowledge is a duty upon every Muslim. The Shaykh says this hadith has many chains of narration. On the authority of more than a dozen Companions of the Prophet ﷺ, including Anas, Ali, the son of Ali, Al Hussein, Abdul ibn Abbas, Abdul ibn Umar, Abdul ibn Mas'ud, and others, radiallahu anhum ajma'in. This hadith has been reported from innumerable, or at least a dozen companions of the Prophet ﷺ. In addition to 20 successes or tabi'un, apparently, uh, including 20 of the tabi'un, apparently reporting from Anas alone. Yani, Anas is عنه, one of the narrators from one Sahaba who reported this hadith, and at least 20 of the Tabi'een reported from him alone. These narrations are collected by Ibn Majah al Bayhaqi al Tabarani, and others. But all of them are da'if. Yani all of these chains contain some defect, according to Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal and Ishaq, his Sheikh Ishaq ibn Rahway, and also Ibn Abdul Bar al-Bazzar and others. Although some scholars authenticated a few of the chains, yani, some of these chains were authenticated by some of the scholars, while Imam Ahmed and others said that all of them contain some defect. Al-Bayhaqi said that its text is mashhoor, while its isnad is da'if. Yani, Al-Bayhaqi said that the text is mashhur, and the meaning of hadith mashhur is the technical meaning of mashhur, meaning that in every level it contained at least three narrators. And the other meaning of mashhur means a hadith that is widespread, that it's famous, all the people are mentioning it, though it may have only one chain, or it may have many chains, or it may have no chains at all. This is the non-technical meaning of mashhur. He said this hadith is mashhur, while it's, it's not is da'if. And perhaps the meaning of mashur that he means here is the technical meaning as well as the non-technical meaning because the hadith is narrated by innumerable, innumerable sahaba and tabi'in and as well as the very famous hadith. But he said the isnad of it is da'if while al-hakam and ibn al-salah regarded it as a prime example of a mashur hadith which is not sahih. And in their books of mustalah hadith, al-hakam and ibn al-salah that this is an example of mashhur hadith which is not sahih however however it is regarded by later scholars of hadith 
as having enough chains of narration to be strengthened to the level of Hassan or Sahih, a view which is stated by Al-Mizzi, Al-Iraqi, Ibn Hajar Askalani, Al-Suyuti, and Al-Albani, Rahimahumullah, Jamian. Uh, and perhaps the correct opinion of this hadith is the opinion that the weaknesses in the chains are not that severe and are capable to be strengthened and raised up to the level of at least hasan li if not as some of the scholars said that it is sahih and Shaykh al-Albani mentioned uh, this hadith in more than one place he said that the hadith is sahih although uh, another narration of it uh, which mentions طلب العلم فريدته على كل مسلم ومسلمة يعني the wording every Muslim man and woman is definitely not reported authentically and the correct narration of it is that seeking knowledge is obligatory on every Muslim and that includes male and female uh, the next hadith is the hadith أطلب العلم ولو بالسين يعني seek knowledge go after knowledge even if you have to go to China and even if you have to travel across the world to go to the furthest of places that was known to them then you should seek knowledge, that's how important it is this additional statement is found in a few of the weak narrations of the previous hadith yani the hadith that seeking knowledge is written on every Muslim and some of the narrations it also includes this statement seek knowledge even unto China and here the shaykh says that though this additional statement is found in a few of the weak narrations of the previous hadith the addition of seek knowledge even unto China is mawdu'a it is declared to be fabricated by Ibn Hibban, Ibn al-Jawzi and al-Sakhawi as well as of the contemporary scholars al-Albani rahimahullah um, number 25 and seek knowledge even unto China it is a weak hadith at least if not as some of the scholars said mudu or fabricated the last two hadith the ink of the scholar is holier than the blood of the martyr the ink of the scholar yani the one who spreads knowledge that the ink that he used to spread knowledge is holier or more valuable than the blood of the martyr or the one who fights in jihad this is mentioned by Al-Manjaniqi in his collection of ahadith of all the narrators reporting from younger ones. This is one of the categories that we didn't discuss in detail at the end of the book from some of the other sciences of hadith we said uh, are that subject of all the reporters who narrated from those who were younger than them. Al-Akabir and Al-Asagir. He said that this is reported in, in this collection from the authority of Al-Hasan al-Basri rahimahullah. And one of the Imams of the Tabi'een, that this is the saying of Hassan al-Basri. Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi said that it is mawdu' fabricated as a narration from the Prophet wasallam, but that it is a statement of Hassan al-Basri. Yani, whoever attributed to the Prophet, we say it's fabricated. It doesn't have an authentic chain going back to the Prophet wasallam, but in fact, in reality, it is a statement, mawquf, it is a statement, or uh, a statement of a tabi'i a statement of a tabi'i yani a, a statement of Hassan al-Basri rahimahullah the last uh, statement we have returned from the lesser jihad to the greater jihad that is the struggle against the evil of one's soul yani we have returned from the greater jihad meaning fighting against the disbelievers from the lesser jihad fighting against the disbelievers to the greater jihad that is fighting against the evil of one's soul. The Shaykh said this hadith related as marfu' yani marfu' means it is attributed to the Prophet marfu' hadith is that which is attributed to the Prophet as opposed to mawquf which is a statement of sahabi or maktu' statement of a tabi. It is related as marfu' attributed to the Prophet by al-bayhaqi with a da'if weak isnad or chain of narratives according to al-iraqi Ibn Hajar, Al-Hafiz Ibn Hajar Iskalani said that it is actually a saying of Ibrahim Ibn Abi Abla, a successor or a tabi'in. Yani, it is mawquf on Ibrahim Ibn Abi Abla or it is maqtu'a, a statement of a tabi'i. So this is the last of yani, the hadith or reports which the Shaykh mentioned in the introduction to the book. And these are the rulings concerning them, some of them being authentic 
some of them being mutawatir, some of them being hasan or da'if or mawdu'ah. And many of these hadiths are very famous hadith. Not all of them are authentic. And this is a reminder to us that not everything which might have been reported widely or mentioned often in books or in speeches is necessarily authentic. And it is an obligation on us to search out the authenticity of the reports which are attributed to the Prophet ﷺ in order not to fall into the dangerous position of narrating something falsely. Something that has been falsely attributed to the Prophet ﷺ and the danger of the threat of the Prophet ﷺ who said that whoever reports something which is a lie on my authority, then let them be prepared for their seat in the hellfire. So it is a serious matter and a Muslim is expected to be careful and this is the greatest benefit of Mustara Hadith in its study, being able to detect or to know how to uh, differentiate and to understand the language of the scholars in their researches and studies which they did in order to identify and describe uh, those hadith which are authentic and separate them from those which are weak. The Shaykh closes uh, this section and the end of the book, the last statement, with a statement, the scholars of hadith agree that a da'if or mawdu'a hadith must not be attributed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. for example by saying the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, and a hadith which is da'if, weak, and a hadith which is mawdu'a fabricated, it is not lawful to mention that statement and say the Messenger of Allah sallallahu said. If we know that it is mawdu'a and we know that it is weak, we cannot say so. Even if the meaning is considered to be correct, and even if the statement that's being made appears to be correct. Still, if it's correct, we can say the meaning is correct, but we shouldn't say that the Prophet said it. We can just say there's a statement that has been passed down to us uh, in the wording as follows, and the meaning appears to be correct. But we shouldn't say that it is a hadith or statement of the Prophet Uh, Even if the meaning is considered to be correct, or even if it is actually the saying of a Muslim scholar, from among Sahaba or Tabi'een or those who came after them. For that would be a way of lying about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And we have been warned, Man kathaba alayya muta'ammidan, whoever lies on me intentionally, فَلْيَتَبَوَّعَ مَقَعَدُهُ مِنَ النَّارِ And let him be prepared to take his seat in the hellfire and other such hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam of similar meaning. And here the Shaykh closes, وَصَلَّ so if there are any comments or questions or corrections, this is the end of the book and the end of the final section. Uh, and from here, inshallah, perhaps we will have some yani, practical yani, researches or study of some of the hadith um, of various topics, and especially during the month of Ramadan, those hadith related to fasting and the month of Ramadan. There's a difference of opinion amongst the scholars as to whether or not this hadith is a proof that a person who wants to go for jihad cannot go except with the permission of their mother. No matter whether the jihad is fard ayn or fard kifaya. But in fact, perhaps the correct opinion is that uh, if the jihad is fard kifaya, and that which is obligatory on the Muslims in general, as long as some of them do it, the others are free of blame. In that case, a person should take permission from their parents. And they should not go against the pleasure or decision of their parents. Whereas if the jihad is fard ayn, then it doesn't require permission of one's parents. It's obligatory on every individual, and you don't have to ask anyone to do it. Just as a woman doesn't have to ask her husband for permission to fast in Ramadan. And even if he told her not to fast, not only she doesn't have to ask for permission, but she shouldn't listen to him. But outside of Ramadan, a non-obligatory fast, she cannot fast except with his permission. But that which is obligatory on every individual, it doesn't require the permission of anyone. 
when Ali ibn Abi Talib when he was considering accepting Islam as a child in the beginning of the mission of the Prophet then he said let me go and consult with my parents the Prophet told him you don't have to consult with anyone about entering Islam you don't have to ask anyone should I enter Islam or not some people came to us even in these days saying that I want to wait till I go back to my country and talk to my family about it it's not something to talk to anybody about it is your salvation either permanent place in the hellfire or salvation in paradise these things don't require the permission of anyone so the, perhaps the best opinion and Allah knows best and the correct opinion is that there's a distinction between the jihad which is far kifaya obligatory on the Muslims as a whole as long as some of them do it the others are free of blame and that jihad which is far ayn obligatory on every individual from amongst the Muslims in that case it doesn't require permission from one's parents one's mother or otherwise and Allah knows best بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم